Welcome. You are listening to the Park Avenue Synagogue Podcast, and this is Rabbi Elliot Cosgrove. While it's better to hear it live, this is a place to catch the latest sermon, conversation, and select program. If you like what you're hearing or want to learn more about our community, check out PASYN.org. And don't forget to subscribe wherever you get your podcasts to get a notification for our next episode. Enjoy and see you in shul. Shabbat Shalom. This morning, I want to give a different kind of sermon. I want to speak to you. I want to teach you about Jewish ethics by way of what is perhaps the most famous verse of this week's Torah reading, if not the entire Torah. Leviticus 19.18, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. In Hebrew, ve'ahavta l'reecha kamocha. Other traditions, religions, philosophies, secular or otherwise, provide a variety of mottos by which to measure and aspire towards a virtuous life. But this verse, referred to as the golden rule, embodies in just three words, ve'ahavta, love, l'reecha, your neighbor, kamocha, as yourself, the biblical ideal of interpersonal ethics. Sometimes it's referred to as reciprocal altruism. The words most often understood as a rule of thumb, that we should treat other people as we ourselves would want to be treated. We like it when people are thoughtful, kind, generous, forgiving, and patient towards us, and thus we should act accordingly to others. For those unfamiliar with the entire passage, it reads, Do not hate your brother in your heart. You shall surely reprove your kinsmen, incur no guilt on their account. Do not take vengeance. Do not bear a grudge. Love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord your God. In the Bible, as is most things in life, location matters. And this verse, this mitzvah, sits at the very center of the middle book of the five books of Moses, the linchpin, arguably, not only to our ethical tradition, but to our tradition as a whole. No wonder the 12th century French commentator Rashi commented that this verse is the fundamental principle of the entire Torah. Mark Twain once famously said, it ain't the parts of the Bible I don't understand that bother me, it's the parts that I do understand. And the more I look into this verse, the more I realize that what seems so simple and understandable might not be so simple and understandable at all. The 13th century Spanish commentator Nachmanides, for instance, takes issue with the literal meaning of the verse, as explained by his predecessor Maimonides, that a person should wish for their brother, love, compassion, money, whatever exactly what he wishes for himself. Nachmanides explains in a sort of proto-Darwinian fashion that this verse cannot possibly mean that because every person, by definition, is led by self-interest, and no person can be expected to extend the same love for another as she or he does for himself. Rather, Nachmanides explains, building on an earlier Spanish commentator, Ibn Ezra, 
that a person should enjoy the good fortune of another as they would their own. It's not the natural thing to do. We need a commandment to remind us to rejoice in the good fortune of others, whether we work on Wall Street or as rabbis or just brothers and sisters falling into the trap of measuring ourselves against each other. Sometimes we begrudge. Sometimes we think life is a zero-sum game, that the success of another somehow diminishes us. We need a commandment, writes Nachmanides, to wish for others what we would wish for ourselves, to strive, as the adage goes, to be satisfied with our portion. It's not an easy task, but that is what it means to Nachmanides to love others as we love ourselves. But the complexities baked into this verse only deepen. What does it actually mean to love another person as one would love oneself? I once heard a person say that one can never love or be loved until one loves oneself. It's a nice thought, but not necessarily true or what the words in their context actually mean. What I do know is that whenever I meet young wedding couples and the question turns to what makes for a healthy relationship, I always tell couples that this verse, beautiful as it may be, is terrible marital advice. One should not, under any circumstances, love your partner as you would want to be loved. Why, as George Bernard Shaw explained, do not do unto others as you would they should do to you. Their tastes may be different. I am fine, actually more than fine, going to sleep at night with dishes in the sink, the closet door open, and the hallway light left on. But the woman with whom I have lived with for nearly 25 years, not so fine. For a relationship to work, both partners need to look at the world not through their own eyes, but through the eyes of the other. Love a person not as you would want to be loved, but as your partner wants and needs to be loved. Figuring that out is a challenge and opportunity of married life. Figuring that out is the measure of any and all successful and sustainable relationships. And then, of course, there's a question of the meaning of the word neighbor. The verse specifies a series of people, siblings, kinsmen, members of our people, and neighbors. No commentator actually suggests that this word refers to a neighbor, as in the guy living next door. But does it mean someone in whose proximity you dwell, someone with whom you share citizenship, someone with whom you share faith? Some commentators understand this verse as expansive language, meaning to include your neighbor be that person an Israelite or non-Israelite. Others, just the opposite. When asked to name the most important verse of the tradition, one rabbi of the Talmud named Ben Patera chose a verse affirming every human being descending from the same initial creation, meaning that Rabbi Ben Patera was a universalist. Rabbi Akiva, a more familiar rabbi, on the other hand, named our verse, often understood to signal that Akiva was a particularist holding that one should love one's own kin more than anyone else's. Rashi's grandson, Rashbam, reads the verse in a deeply particularistic and conditional fashion. Love your neighbor if that neighbor is like you. Hundreds of years later, Moses Mendelssohn read the verse in a universalist fashion. 
love your neighbor because he is you, meaning as equally human as you are. The mystical humanist Martin Buber goes even further stating, love your neighbor, he is you, meaning you don't just share the divine image with that person, you share a destiny with that person. In the words of Martin Luther King, we are caught in an inescapable network of mutuality tied in a single garment of destiny. Whatever affects one directly affects all indirectly. That is why we must love our neighbor as ourselves. Speaking of preachers, no study of loving one's neighbor would be complete without engaging in some comparative religion. For those familiar with the gospel tradition, you know that in the book of Mark, Jesus states that this law together with the Shema, are the most important commandments, a priority that's affirmed in Matthew, Luke, Romans, and Galatians. What is interesting is that in the hands of the Jewish people's most famous sage, Hillel, who lived more or less contemporary to Jesus, this verse takes on a totally different meaning. The Talmud relates how Hillel was approached by a would-be convert to Judaism and asked to summarize the entirety of the tradition while standing on one foot. And famously, Hillel converts a person and replies, that which is hateful unto you, do not do unto others. The rest is commentary. There are so many interesting things about this exchange, but the two points relevant for our conversation are, first, Hillel flips the verse from the positive to the negative, not what we should be doing, but what we should avoid doing, a transformation that many signal understand to signal a key difference between Jewish and Christian ethics, that the former is more about justice and the latter more about love. And the second change that Hillel modifies the biblical language from that of love to deed, from emotion to action, what you should or should not do, not feel. Unlike Christianity, Judaism doesn't command us about our feelings just whether we act on those feelings. It's a key difference between our two religious traditions. I'll leave you with my favorite explanation of the verse, one that comes from the most unexpected place of all, Northwest Italy. The founding father of our ethical tradition as Jews was a man named Moses Chaim Luzato the Musar tradition. He was born in 18th century Padua, about as far from Venice as White Plains is from Manhattan. In his ethical treatise, Path of the Righteous, Luzzato runs through many of the explanations we have reviewed, but he ultimately lands on what I believe to be a deeply original and compelling interpretation. Luzzato's focus is not on whether love can or cannot be commanded, or what does or doesn't define a neighbor. Luzado asks the question of what do we mean by the word kamocha, like yourself, as yourself? What does that really mean? And here he asks us to look at the verse as a whole. Do not hate your brother in your heart. You shall surely reprove your kinsmen. Incur no guilt on their account. Don't take vengeance. Don't bear a grudge. Love your neighbor as yourself. As flesh and blood, the urge to take vengeance on others, to hold grudges, 
even to hate people in our hearts, these are powerful urges. All of us hold hurts and slights and disappointments bottled up inside. The Torah understands this and therefore commands us not to hold these things in or even worse, gossip about them with others or in this day and age on social media. Seeking vengeance, tail-bearing, harboring grudges does damage not only to the person with whom we are angry, but to ourselves. Resentment festers, producing a toxic effect that turns us into people unrecognizable to ourselves, privately and humbly and constructively. We must communicate our hurts to others, sharing our pain while staying open, of course, to hearing the other side. Because when we let that hurt go, writes Luzato, we can finally become ourselves. That is what the verse means. Love your neighbor as yourself, without grudge, without resentment or sub subterfuge. Kamocha mamash, literally, as yourself. Each one of us, in our own way, carries hurts and injuries inside, some caused knowingly by others, perhaps with malice, but oftentimes inflicted on us unknowingly or without ill intent. Those hurts that we carry, they can be painful. They disfigure us, like a portrait hidden in our attic. Our hearts, like a crumpled up piece of paper lying there, we become unrecognizable, alienated from our very selves. The key to our liberation is that act, both small and momentous, of communicating that which has been bottled up inside all this time, to share our hurt as ourselves so that we can become ourselves. Then and only then can we mend those relationships in need of repair and by extension, mend our very souls. Love your neighbor as yourself, truly yourself, and may each of us and all of us together be holy. Shabbat Shalom. Thank you for listening to the Park Avenue Synagogue Podcast. If you enjoyed this episode and want to learn more about our community, check out PASYN.org. See you in Shul. Hallelujah, Hallelujah.